Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tonight, answering your biggest money concerns. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Brian James, who's in for Steve Sprovac tonight. You know, we have, gosh, hundreds of advisors at, at Allworth now and in thousands and thousands of clients. And we talk to them day in and day out. That what, what are your most pressing financial and retirement worries? And then we compiled them, right? A list. And I think if you listen closely, you will probably find yourself in some of these as far as just the top worries when it comes to money that are keeping people up at night. Number one is no surprise to me, Brian. The question is, Will I outlive my savings? I think this is something that has crossed every person and certainly every retiree's mind at some point. Absolutely. And honestly, it, it, all the rest of them pivot off of this. Will I yeah. outlive my savings? That's really at the end of the day. Am I going to make it or not? Does the ship float or not? And, and that's the that's the primary concern. Right. So some for some people, it's easy to save money. Uh, you know, some people are just geared that way and perhaps they're in a financial situation that allows them to do so without really having to change their lifestyles. Others have to make choices. So, you know, we, we really like eating out or we really want to be doing more things with our grandkids or whatever. Uh, you know, it, but but the question becomes, how much can I get away with? So uh, this, this is this is the, the, the best thing to do here is figure out how can I do this in the first place? First of all, how much more time do I have? When do I want to retire? A lot of people don't know this number uh, and you don't have to have it nailed down, but you do have to think about it in terms of, you know, when am I going to go? Uh, what will, what resources will I have at that time? For example, if I'm going to try to retire at age 60, then I will not have social security. I will not have other income sources. Do I have the cash available in some format, whether it's bank savings or investments or whatever, uh, to rely on until I can turn on some of my income streams. On the other hand, if I'm going to wait till 70, maybe I can benefit from having increased that, uh, those social security amounts. But the real question is, uh, when do I need to, to, to tap into my savings? I never think of it uh, uh, in terms of when people say, talk about when they want to retire. To me, uh, when we talk about their investments, it's not when they want to tell their, their boss that they're not coming in anymore. That's not the question. It's when do they need to tap into those investment nest eggs? Uh, and that, that is, to me, that is a far more important question than the date you're going you're gonna to talk to your boss about when you're going to hang it up. Yeah. Another question that we get uh, pretty often, especially as people are getting up, closing on that retirement age, what does it look like? Where am I going to go? Right. Am I going to stay put? And, you know, the thousands of people that we have worked with through the years who have made that decision and kind of walked into retirement, the number one consideration for them is um, where family is. Right. Proximity to family. If you've been working for years and you're you know, your kids have grown up, gone to college, they've moved away. I know many people who then after that job is finished, they leave the career behind, they want to be closer to those kids. They want to see those grandkids grow up, right? Everyone wants to be there for grandparents' day at school. 
Absolutely. And so, and that can be important. And then what makes this challenging is you might have kids who have moved to three different places. Now yes. you got to pick your favorite. So <laughs> some of the way we've seen uh, this problem get solved is maybe instead of one, one big nice house, you have a couple small condominiums yeah. or just be willing, you know, buy a small place to use as home base and be willing to experiment with Airbnb or, or those kinds of, you know, and, and sure. it's okay to, as long as it fits your budget, uh, it's okay to spend money on a nice place to stay for a month. You don't always have to be looking for fifty-dollar uh, days in bargains, uh, you know, as you might become accustomed to. But if you know your budget, you can figure out how to spend along those lines. Now, a lot of people also want to stay put. So then the question is: That's great. You're going to save. You're going to save money. Is it a house you can grow old in? So you need to be thinking about, does it have everything we need? You know, if the, if the laundry room is on the, is on the, the third floor and it's a tiny stairwell to get up there or all that kind of stuff, these are the things that should be considered. It's okay to spend money on a house that you will stay in, right? You have to be happy and comfortable in a safe, uh, in safe in a, in a house that, uh, that you're going to uh, grow old in, but uh, you might need to make some expenses and that, and you may not see those dollars again. I don't think of that as an investment. Don't think of that kind of thing as uh, you know, whatever adjustments you might need to make to your home. Think of it as, can we afford it? And will it make us happy during retirement? If we can still pay all our other bills and make these improvements to keep us safe and happy, and we get to stay put, then do it. Don't think of it as an investment, but think of it, uh, put a good amount of thought into it though. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We have helped thousands, tens of thousands of people retire um, at Allworth. And time and time again, their top concerns are your top concerns. One of them is, if we're looking at another financial crisis, right? If another recession could be coming, could another financial crisis, whether it's this one that could be coming soon or one that's five years away, could it wipe me out? Uh, and I think it goes, it, it speaks very much, Brian, to um, most of us when it comes to our money, we want to do two things. We want to grow it and we want to protect it. And in times like this, when the when the stock market is all over the place, it's almost like you want to curl up in the fetal position around your 401k, right? You want to protect it because you're concerned. What happens if this continues to go down? Yeah. And the question we frequently get in the financial planning process with our all worth financial clients is uh, what happens if there's another recession? Oh my gosh, what will we do if there's a recession? And I always have to correct people and say, no, it's not if, it's when. It's when. No, absolutely. Is coming, right? It's just not as predictable. So I, I always I always have people think of this. Uh, you know, if, if, it, if it's, it, you know, it rained last week. Or it, you know, in the winter, it's snowing. So therefore, should we just go ahead and board up our windows and, and keep the house better insulated? No, of course not. The sun's going to come out again. We need to have all the options available to us because the cycles will come and go. So the question of, of, of could, could another financial crisis or a recession wipe me out? Well, again, as we always say, you have to know what you're starting from. This is where a financial plan comes. What are you trying to accomplish in the first place? And then, you know, I'll give an extreme example. Let's just pretend, you know, let's set a baseline scenario. Here's all the expenses you, that, uh, that you have. Here's the resources you have in your 401ks, pensions, Social Security, whatever. Does the ship float? Yes or no? And then right next to that, we can say, okay, let's now pretend you have, I don't know, 25% less than you did uh, in our first scenario. Does the ship still float? If yes, then, you know, just deal with it. It's not fun to go through, but just recognize that this is how it works. If the answer is, uh, you know, no, it doesn't float, then maybe we need to change our expectations in order to put you in a, in a position where you can be more confident. That's the point of a financial plan. 
Yeah, we run all of our plans through stress tests, and we look at 07, 08, 09 as one of those scenarios, right? I mean, things were ugly then. I've told this story in the show a couple of times, but I remember getting my 401k statement in the mail. I remember exactly where I was. Um, I, I, I came in with the mail, and when my son was on the swing set, and I was pushing him on the swing set, and I opened it up, and I like I forgot about my son on the swing set because I was looking at this statement thinking, oh my gosh, like this is bad. And I was nauseous and it made me a little bit scared. And we run people through those scenarios and, and you would be shocked by how many of them. Yes. Like you might be concerned, but in, in that situation, in those conditions under, in that situation, your financial plan will be fine. You'll be okay. Right. And, and there's, there's peace of mind that comes in that because I think asking yourself about a financial crisis, worrying about that is an incredibly normal thing to do. And I hope Trey survived that swing set incident. <laughs> he he lived damage. to tell about it. We have no broken bones. He's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of uh, broken bones, another one that comes up all the time is is healthcare related uh, yeah. issues. So people are worried about Medicare, right? So Medicare is what kicks in when you are age 65. 65 is the magic number for for Medicare. Uh, and to separate that from Social Security, 62 is the earliest you can take Social Security. 65 is Medicare. They are not necessarily connected unless you want them to be. Um, but Medicare doesn't cover everything. Uh, to to kind of give a too high uh, explanation of this, uh, Medicare covers roughly 80% of your typical healthcare expenses. There's something called Medigap that you would go out and purchase on your own at its own separate premium that, yes, comes out of your pocket. That's a choice that people make, but most who can afford it do so. That will cover the other 20%. So that you have that to look forward to at age 65. Perhaps some are in a situation where their former employer federal government or maybe a large company that's had a healthcare plan in place for a long time, they may offer you a better deal or uh, or at least an earlier deal than 65. That's, a, that's not infrequent, but uh, it's not very common either. I would say most people are aware of that already if it does exist in their situation. Something else you have to understand, um, long-term care facilities, right? No one wants to think about ending up there. I think especially post-pandemic, right? When you think about the horror stories that we were all reading about during that time, about people getting sick in these, you know, nursing home facilities and it going through the whole thing. Uh, you know, does Medicare cover that? And I think a lot of people like falsely assume it does. No, you have to have a plan for long-term care, which leads us to another huge consideration that a lot of people have. A lot, a huge question and concern is how do I pay for healthcare costs in retirement, right? I mean, Medicare does not, to your point, Medicare does not cover everything. And study after study shows like the average couple retiring this year needs, I think, $280,000, $300,000 over the course of their retirement um, to to be okay when it comes to healthcare costs. And that's why I'm a huge fan of health savings accounts, right? If that makes sense for you, HSAs, you have a high deductible healthcare plan, um, but the money gets stocked in that HSA, it can be invested and that can grow. And if you have the ability to pay for healthcare costs out of pocket now, right, if there's maybe no one in your family that has chronic conditions, um, you can set that money aside, let it continue to grow toward retirement could be a great option for a lot of people. Absolutely. Uh, and and the, what, what you referenced there, the $280,000, $300,000, that's just the cost of the remainder of your retirement years going to the doctor and just paying your co-pays and yep. just your standard bills. If you actually come across a long-term care stay, that's going to be another approximately $300,000. Uh, you know, in, in addition, now that's not, you know, not everybody's at risk for that, of course, but there's a good chance, you know, generally speaking, one out of every two uh, folks will run into that situation where yeah. they will wind up with some length of a, of a nursing home stay. So that's a different cost. 
Keep that in mind. Here's a Simply Money point. Your situation is unique to you, but your fi primary financial concerns actually might be shared by millions of others. Just make sure you're working with a, a qualified advisor that you can trust who can help you with actionable advice to your questions so that you can sleep at night. Straight ahead, what Social Security beneficiaries could get next year, and we'll play a little retirement fact or fiction. I know it's everyone's favorite game. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Brian James. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcasts. Coming up at 643, what you can learn from people who have gone before you into retirement and absolutely hate it. What you need to know. Speaking of retirement, Social Security, um, some good news here. Social Security beneficiaries could be in line to receive the largest cost of living adjustment we have ever seen uh, next year, of course, due to inflation. Double digits, Amy. Ten and a half percent. That that's the estimate that's coming around. This is coming from the Senior Citizens League, and that that's a nonpartisan uh, senior group uh, that that, that uh, you know kind of a think tank for for these situations. But their estimate, based on the on how this these calculations work, is a ten and a half percent increase over 2023 or for 2023 next year. So you know, let, let's think about what this means, right? That sounds fantastic. That's a double digit increase, and it's effectively federally guaranteed, right? This is just an estimate, but yeah. uh, the calculations are you know the equations are. So out there to kind of show where this comes from. Um, but let's call it what it is. This isn't a windfall, right? This isn't new money. This is an, an, an acknowledgement that, hey, stuff costs more and uh, you, Social Security is supposed to keep up with those. That's where this is coming from. So to give a little bit of history, in 2022, uh, we had a record boost of 5.9%. So we've already seen yeah. this one time where we're in uncharted waters. That was already itself the highest increase in 40 years. Then inflation got worse, and now we're at 10%. So again, if, if this if this is shouldn't be considered a windfall, it's just a little bit more extra in your Social Security check. Not a windfall, but for those on a fixed income, probably at least a little sigh of relief that maybe a little bit of extra help is coming considering the cost of your bread and your gas and your energy bill and everything else right now. All right, it is time for everybody's favorite game, Retirement Factor Fiction. I joke, but there is, it's so funny how many myths are out there that people perpetuate about things that have to do with money. And so tonight we're just taking a crack at them to see what you know, what we know, need, what you need to know. Um, the first one, fact or fiction here, Brian, I can plan the growth of my investments based on long-term historical average returns, right? I pull up the charts, I take it out to the future, and I know exactly how much I'm going to have. Exactly. Life operates in a spreadsheet, right? <laughs> now, no, I'm going to call this one factish. Uh, oh. The reason being is uh, because there can be some truth. You have to understand the, 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 the of course, the, the, the impact of this. But first of all, we have to assume some rate of growth. When I'm building a financial plan for somebody, then we have to assume it's going to average something over, you know, over the remainder of their lives. I'm not going to use a 10, 12, 15, 20% number because that just makes things look ridiculous. But yeah. at the same time, we can't assume, we're not going to assume 0, 1% either. We have to assume some long-term average. The long-term average of the, you know, of, for example, of the stock market 
is in the eight to 10% range that that, and that has actually held up even through now, if you're looking over the decades, that is still, that's still a figure that holds up. Uh, but at the same time, never, ever, ever assume that's going to happen like clockwork. It does not. Remember, if I'm looking at an 8% average, that means I can get a 24% return in one year, which we've seen recently. We've seen that happen in the last five years. And I can lose money for the next two years and still get an 8% average out of that. That's the three steps forward, two steps back approach. So I call this one fact-ish because it's got to be based off of something, but don't assume it's mechanical. It is not. It is not predictable. And you have to learn your market history to become comfortable with uh, with the, the things that we go through from time to time. All right, I'm going to call it fiction and only because they're talking about long-term historical average returns. And I don't, I don't think that you can always predict history. And I think if you're being maybe just a little more conservative than that, right? Anything else that you get on top of it? Um, gravy, right? Gravy. But again, I think it's great to have all the opinions here because not everyone sees these things the same way. Um, here's another fact or fiction, Brian. Don't assume your expenses at retirement will be less than during your working years. Lots of people assume that. Exactly. And I'm, I'm going to call this one, well, it depends on how you read it, I guess, but I'm calling this fact in, in yes. terms of that is correct, right? That's, that is not, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to be uh, driving as much. My Everybody says dry cleaning bills. That's always, well, I don't have to dress up. For how much anymore. do people pay for dry cleaning? <laughs> I'm like, is this, is this thousands of dollars in your budget? I, I don't think so. Yep, exactly. It, 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 so some of these things aren't real expenses that you're, you're really going to uh, assume. And don't forget, all of us are pretty much as healthy as we're ever going to be as we're sitting here right now. Your health expenses are going up because that is just how the world works. Now, the one thing, I, the, the, the caveat to this is it's not all negative. I always caution people, don't look at your gross salary or your, your spouse's gross salary and, and declare that that is the income you must have to maintain your current standard of living. No one has ever seen their gross salary hit nope. their checking account on an annual basis. You've got FICA taxes, payroll taxes, you're paying for, uh, you're, you're making Roth or 401k contributions. Uh, all kinds of things are not happening. So most people are really bringing home no more than 60 to 70% at most of their gross salary. Start with that figure and work backwards from there. All right. Uh, you're listening to Simply Money here on 55 KRC as we play fact or fiction when it comes to your retirement. Uh, here's the next one. Contributing the maximum annual tax deductible amount to your 401k is a must, but not enough on its own. Fact or fiction? I'm going to call that one a fact just because uh, yeah. we, we always want people to, you know, obviously saving is the, that's the easy button, right? That's always going to be the answer for some portion of your, of your situation. But again, financial plans are, are as unique as fingerprints. Uh, everybody's going to be in a different situation. So for example, yes, people need to save as much as they humanly possibly can. However, not at the expense of foregoing your, like, let's say you've got credit card bills. I would not ignore the credit cards that are out there solely for the fact of, well, I've got an extra 500 bucks. I should put it in my 401k because that's a set in stone rule of thumb. Absolutely not. You need to address those small issues. But this is why we try to tell people to try to get to a standard of if you can put away 20% of your income, that's a great goal to have. You can do that for the balance of your working career, then you're going to be in a strong position. That's not possible for everyone. Uh, but so a minimum of say 10%, including the match that can put you on a good path. But, but again, it's, it's the idea of knowing what actions I take now and what will the impact be down the road. I think there are certain people, though, who hear this and say, oh, well, I can't max out my 401k, so I give up. 
It's not an all or nothing proposition. Look at how much you're putting in now, right? What percentage of that? Are you at 6%? Are you at 12%? Can you bump it up by one to two percentage points for next year? If you're getting a raise, is there ways? I mean, and I think, you know, every time there's a raise or a bonus, it's so easy to be like, oh, finally that trip or that thing that we've wanted to do. The people who are the most financially successful live year after year the same way. They don't have that lifestyle creep at all. And any additional money that's coming in, they're saving it. And I think that's a great way to get to that maxing out your 401k, getting to that saving 20%. You can't get there. If you're nowhere close to it now, the key is taking actionable steps in order to get yourself in that direction. Um, final factor fiction. There is no real hedge against inflation. I don't know, Brian, the headlines everywhere tell me that there there are all kinds of options out there. Yeah, sure. It depends on who you want to talk to, but it, it's the way you have to. And I think I think this one's sort of about semantics, right? So, uh, I mean, the, the fact is that the assets such as real estate and, believe it or not, stocks are good hedges against inflation. However, someone who's paying any attention at all right now would say, well, my stocks are actually getting hammered this year. Why would I consider that if, you know, that, that I'd rather sit in cash, which I know is getting eaten alive by inflation? Well, the answer to that is remember the cycle. Eventually, the cycle will turn. We had a recession in 2008. For anybody who was investing back in the back in those times in their 401ks, I guarantee you those are the most valuable dollars you have 15 years later. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Coming up, the most important question to ask yourself could be, do I need life insurance? If so, why and what kind? We're going to give you some clarity on all of that next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. We talk so much about financial planning, what a financial plan looks like, but the foundation of all of that is actually insurance. If you don't have the proper insurance, well, that entire plan could fall apart. Joining us tonight is our estate planning expert from the law firm of Wood and Lamping, Mark Reckman, uh, with his take after helping thousands of people migrate with your estate planning through the years on when you do and don't need life insurance, which can sometimes be confusing. Well, it certainly is, Amy, and, and I'm not an insurance agent, uh, which means I'm not selling anything. 
don't have a dog in this fight, me, right? But that's right. Uh, I think it gives me some objectivity, though, to talk about insurance. And I've come to, to understand that there are really two big reasons. There are lots of reasons to buy life insurance, but the biggest two are, number one, to protect your dependents, and number two, as an investment vehicle. Um, now, I'm not a big fan of using an insurance company um, as for investment purposes. I think that's what financial planners and money managers are for. Um, I will leave that topic up to someone else to discuss another day. And that can what be confusing, right? Because they'll they'll talk about um, being an advisor or helping you plan, uh, yet understand that you are buying a product uh, from people who sell you insurance. You pay them commission, different than sort of the ongoing relationship that you might have with your financial planner. Well, that's right, and and that is different. And many insurance agents um, um, really describe themselves as financial planners, and perhaps appropriately so. Um, but what I want to do today is to talk about how to use insurance to protect your dependents. Okay. Um, so uh, there are – I made a short list of sort of life events that call for life insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one is getting married. Um, now, Amy, getting marriage itself does, does not trigger a need for life insurance uh, unless one spouse is financially dependent on the other yeah. and there are no other assets to help. You think about um, buying perhaps, a house, Mark, right? Like you buy a house maybe for the first time and you buy that based on both of your incomes. And well, what, were, right. what were to happen if something were to happen to your spouse and you're left behind to pay for that mortgage and pay for those bills on your income alone? Uh, and that, that's, that's where a life insurance comes in. Yes. Well, in, in that particular case, you're taking on a joint debt. Uh, and if something happens to you, then, then my wife's going to be stuck paying that debt by herself because her name's on the house and mm-hmm. her name's on the note to the bank. Um, so if I don't have other money that I can leave to her to pay off that debt, uh, life insurance is the perfect solution. Okay, so what uh, beyond marriage, where else do we need to be thinking about life insurance? Uh, children, and this is the big one. Uh, if you die while your children are young, uh, you need to leave something to your spouse or to a guardian uh, to raise the kids. And depending on who you talk to, getting a kid just up to 18 years old can cost anywhere between two and $300,000. So yes. you need a big pot of money. Yes. So, so and planning by the for way, kids applies. No, planning for kids really whether you have a stay-at-home spouse or whether they're working too. You're probably relying on both of your incomes and in raising those children. Well, that's right because the stay-at-home spouse may not create income, but a stay-at-home spouse makes a very significant contribution, yes. economic contribution, to the household. And if you lose the house husband or the housewife. Uh, you're going to have to pay somebody else to do those services. So you need insurance. Even the person who's not the income earner needs life insurance, unless there are other assets available. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We're talking to Mark Rackman. He's our state planning expert with some great tips and ways to know if and when you need life insurance. Of course, it's really any life-changing events. We talked about marriage. We talked about having kids. Uh, what about when you borrow money? Well, that's the one, uh, that's a big one. Uh, and it depends on whether or not my spouse is borrowing with me. Okay. If I borrow money and I die, um, she does not have to pay my debt. There's not a legal obligation for her to pay my bills unless she also shares in that debt. In other words, she signed the promissory note or her name was on the credit card. So if I incur debt that my spouse is going to have to pay at my death, 
then I need to be sure that there's enough money to cover that expense. We talked before about mortgages. That's the big one. Um, At the very least, I need to be sure that there's enough money. And if I don't have enough money, and Amy, most most young people don't have enough money, that's where life insurance can fill a fill a hole. And let's talk about, um, I know there's a lot of people and statistics bear this out during the pandemic kind of went out on their own, right? Didn't want to work for a boss anymore, wanted to be their own boss, started their business, uh, started their own businesses. If you go into business with someone else, you take on a partner uh, and something were to happen to one of you, things could really go south quickly. Well, that's right. And so many uh, small businesses that have more than one owner will have what they call a buy-sell agreement. And this is an agreement between the two founders or three founders or four, however many it is. It's an agreement among the owners that says what happens if somebody dies. And so that if I'm a partner with two other people and, and our business has taken on debt, we've signed a lease, we've borrowed money, whatever the obligation might be, if I die, it might leave a significant hole in the income of the company. Yeah. And so it's one of the important roles about uh, insur- for insurance is that the company can buy a life insurance policy on me. If I die prematurely, the company has that life insurance proceeds to cover the hole that my departure has created. Also, it also can create an opportunity, or I should say a source of funds, to buy out my share. So let's say that I'm a partner with two other people, and it's in the heating and air conditioning business. My my wife is not interested in that business. My partners don't want to be a partner with my wife because she's not interested. So another way to use life insurance is to have the the company, the heating and air conditioning company, buy an insurance policy on my life. When I die, they get money from the insurance company and use that to buy out my ownership mm. share from my wife. Yeah, it's a lot of just pre-planning, right? Talking through these things. In another one, and this is one that absolutely applies to me, is second marriages. Well, second marriages are very interesting, aren't they, Amy? And, and everybody's different. <laughs> from a financial um, standpoint, they are. I mean, you 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 have, in, in our case, a couple of decades of working and building retirement accounts and things like that, and also our own children we're bringing into the marriage. So that does make things a little different. Well, and your kids are young, um, which means that there's a lot of money to be spent to get them well into adulthood, which is uh, if something happens to you, You've got to be sure there's enough money for them. Sure. At the same time, you've got a new relationship and a mortgage that you share with your second husband. These are issues that are that you have to sit down and cover. And life insurance can be a great tool for that. Many, many of my second married clients want to leave their kid, their money to their kids, but they feel like they ought to leave something to their spouse, and they should if there are uh, mortgages or debts or something. How do you leave money to your spouse and your kids at the same time? Well, one way is to buy a life insurance policy. That you could make payable to your spouse. The rest of the money you leave to your kids. Your kids don't feel left out. Your kids have the support they need, but you've left something to your spouse as well. And Mark, I think one other really good point to talk about here is um, whether you need term or whole life insurance, because um, for a lot of people that can be really confusing. Okay, I I understand that I need life insurance, I I have dependents, I have people who are counting on me, but what do I need? Exactly, and in this particular conversation, you and I are talking about life insurance for dependents. 
There are lots of other reasons to buy life insurance, but right now we're talking about just dependents. When I no longer have dependents, I no longer need a policy for my dependents, in which case a term policy works very well for that. I buy it and hold it during the time when I have dependents. When my dependents no longer depend on me, I can drop the policy. Great insights, as always, from our estate planning expert, Mark Reckman, from the law firm of Wood and Lamping on life insurance, when you need it, why you need it, and what kind you might need. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Brian James. Do you hate your boss? All right, help is on the way. We're going to tell you how to cope straight ahead. I don't know. When you think of retirement, what do you picture? Yourself traveling on a beach, playing with the grandkids. There are those who will tell you they absolutely hate retirement and want to go back to work or do go back to work. Why? Why, Brian, would this happen to people? Yeah, so this is the I can see an indicator uh, of this among my clients and frankly, my family members, too, when they'll say things such as we'll try to make family plans. And the answer will be, well, I can't do it uh, next week because I've got a doctor's appointment. My response is, "Okay, so your world has now gotten so small that one doctor's (laughs) appointment has booked up your whole week or leaving parties early because there's bath towels in the dryer. Uh, These are real life (laughs) examples from my family, some of whom may be listening. But the point of this is it's sort of a loss of purpose. Right. So some people wind up not happy because all of a sudden they were they were important big muckety muck at their office. People relied on them. They got things done. They could identify when they started a project and when they completed it successfully. Stuff that we all want to get away from. But in the end of the day, we're all human beings and we want to know that we did something that mattered. So this can be uh, uh, kind of a kind of a loss of identity, right, Amy, yeah. where you, you just don't feel like, does it matter that I wake up in the morning? Now, sometimes think, that sounds fantastic, but not always. Well, and I think the mirror test is an excellent test for a number of things. But this is truly looking yourself in the mirror and asking yourself, when I think of myself, what do I think of? And if the answer is leader, CEO, accountant, attorney, radio show host, right? If, if that's how you think of yourself, when that's pulled out of the equation, what are you going to do? Right. And I know many people who've said, no, 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 not going to happen to me. I, you know, I'm never going to think about work again. But then all of a sudden this role that they held that everyone saw them as, and they saw themselves as, and, uh, the, the structure of the day and the meetings and the importance that they had within that company, when that's all stripped away, it can be incredibly scary. And I know a lot of people that find themselves on kind of shaky new terrain. Like what is this? And what am I supposed to do with myself? Yeah. And, and this is not just an American phenomenon, right? We're, we are a very work-oriented country, but uh, yes. this comes actually from the, the German Center of Gerontology over in Berlin, where they determined that about 15% of their own retirees don't adjust to retirement very well. So, uh, and, and that's definitely a worldwide phenomenon. We all have to have a purpose when we get out of bed. So what I always suggest to my clients is, look, you may not want to go to those meetings anymore uh, in, in, or handle those projects, but that doesn't mean you want to sit on the couch and, and, and yell at the TV either. There's got to be an answer in between. So what I encourage people to do is, first of all, once we've de- uh, declared that, yeah, you can get away with retiring, your finances work, then let's let's look at what, what does retirement mean? It does not necessarily mean you never work again. It simply means not that job anymore because I don't need that salary and I don't need that benefits plan. But I could go do something I enjoy. So I'll encourage people to look, think of something, and it doesn't have to be a job that has anything to do with whatever you've done for your entire life. It's really hard sometimes to get people out of that groove. 
I've been an accountant, therefore it must be, it must have to do with numbers. Or I've always been a teacher, so I guess I need to work with kids all my life. That is not the case. Look at something you always thought would be fun. It could be working at a greenhouse or a park. Or, you know, my dad's big thing was he, he for a while was talking about, and I haven't gotten to do it yet, but he was talking about moving to Montana or South Dakota and being a handyman at a hotel for a summer and being able to just kind of see the country out there and, and tinker with stuff during the day, which is his thing anyway. So think outside the box. Go to a site like Indeed.com and type in weird words of things you are interested in, and you never know what you're going to see. And I think it's just figuring out what does your day look like next, right? If you were in... 10 hour days of meeting after meeting after meeting, right? That intensity, you might be losing that. You know, I'm, I'm super close to my aunt and uh, for several, several months, I mean, we, we had the date, all of us had the date on our phones, right? The retirement date, she was ready. She was ready to go. And even then, uh, when she got there, the first, I would say month or so was incredibly unsteady for her because she had just been so regimented all of her life that she had all this newfound time. She has found a, a beautiful way to spend her days now, right? Right? She reads for a little while in the morning and there's certain things that she likes to make sure she reads and uh, walks the dogs and then spends some time with the grandkids and some time volunteering. And uh, she's got groups of friends that she meets regularly and all of those things have come to fill her days. I think an excellent idea, one that we've always been an advocate for, is take a practice retirement. A couple of weeks, if you can. I think the pandemic gave some people uh, sort of that, right? You were still working, but you're working from home. How does that work with the spouse when you're both under the same roof all day long? You know, figuring out what your days will look like before you actually make that transition, incredibly helpful. Yeah. I can't miss you until you're gone is a common phrase among retirees who are now suddenly <laughs> spending a lot of quality time together. So yeah. And, and I, I will say I did hear clients start speaking differently about retirement after the pandemic simply because they went, whoa, now I know what it's like to not have to yeah. be held to a schedule. And I'm not sure I can do that all day, every day for a long period of time. So take stock in what you really want, what's important to you. Here's the Simply Money point. For some, retirement isn't necessarily all it's cracked up to be. The key, prepare for how you want to live in those golden years before you get to them. Coming up next, do you have a bad boss? We've got the, the main groups they fall into and, and what to do if your boss is one of them. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Brian James. You know, many people work is only as good as their boss, right? If you have a boss that you love, you tend to love going to work. And if you have a boss that makes you absolutely want to put your head in a pillow and scream or pull your hair out, well, that completely changes how you feel about your job. Um, you're not alone, but we do have some help on this matter. All right. So, so, uh, because the companies are, are have been in a mode uh, for a long time of just making sure we've got the best talent in the best places and just quick growth, growth at all costs, that seems to be the American way anymore. Let's just run 90 miles an hour and fix stuff along the way. The result of this is that a lot of companies put somewhat arguably unqualified or maybe not enough experienced uh, yet people in the place of being bosses. So people who necessarily haven't had enough experience dealing with conflict uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and leadership, not exactly yeah. leadership in general, they might have a specific skill. You know, there's the old Peter principle, people be getting promoted up until their level of, of incompetency. We kind of saw this 
through the uh, through, through the pandemic uh, as, as people retired and hung it up. And all of a sudden we've got people accelerating a little more quickly than they should have. So this this resulted in a few types of bosses and see if you recognize anybody here. So first off, we had the micromanager. This is the boss who needs to always know that there will be no no zero defects. It must be perfect. And they're going to watch every step of the process. They're uh, all up in your business, right? They're asking you questions. You're working on something and they want it five minutes before you sent it to them. Uh, they, this is a, I've worked for this kind of person. They are incredibly frustrating because I think you feel as an employee like they don't trust you, right? And, and so what do you do? Well, you build the trust, right? You, you give them information, you communicate with them, will overly communicate with them so that they realize, hey, Brian does get this, right? He does know what he's doing. He's on this. He, he got me this thing before I even asked for it. And slowly you build trust, hoping that eventually when they realize, oh, Brian's got this, Amy's got this, uh, they let you alone, right? They give you some space and that can be a great way to sort of work yourself out of that situation. On the flip side, you've got the checked out boss. Yeah, and this is somebody who is uh, who is basically assuming that is either overwhelmed or just assuming that nothing's broken and everything's fine and all these experienced people uh, know what they're doing and, uh, and don't need any help at all. This is somebody you're going to need to be a little more proactive because you do need your boss to, to, to take care of things, to, to remove obstacles. Yeah. If, if you're in a situation where your boss has checked out, then you need to make sure it's clear to them, hey, I know what I'm doing and I'm comfortable doing my day-to-day -day job. So I appreciate the fact that you're not a micromanager. Don't say that, but think it. Uh, but tell them, make it clear here's the obstacles i'm facing and if you can spend your time boss getting these out of my way then i can get done what i need to get done so you're basically giving them you know this is sort of the like the, the opposite of the micromanager you are giving the tasks to your boss here's what i need to do a better job of the you're awesome managing job up i've already doing exactly yeah it, it, book a series of meetings right maybe more than you would otherwise with that boss so that you're in front of them regularly you can ask them questions uh you know get their feedback in real time uh and communicate with them the way that they prefer to communicate if they're someone who's never checking their emails but they're always texting or they like to call right book those meetings and communicate with them in a way that's easier for them I think it can be frustrating to be like, well, what about what's best for me? But I think if you're trying to kind of manage your way out of these situations, uh, you have to think about, of course, how they best function. And then, of course, there's the, the toxic world when everyone hates this. Document that misbehavior. Keep track of it. You, you might need that sometime in the future. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.